Good morning, church. All right, as you heard, we're in 2 John. So if you take your Bibles and go there, 2 John, if you can't find it, it's after 1 John, before 3 John. (laughs) Sorry. Dad jokes don't get better the more you think about them. I'm just telling you. Sorry. All right, let's, uh, let's open with prayer. Father, we thank you that though this little book is not very long, it is it is a very rich harvest for us. There is so much to glean. And uh, it's easy to just um, overlook these little books, these little letters, and uh, and uh, just maybe glance and go on. And yet... Um, we can't do that with your word. We can't do that with any chapter or any verse. And so, uh, I just pray, Father, that we would uh, we would gain today um, a greater handle on on truth and what it is and why it's so important to us as believers. And we thank you for the opportunity that we have right now just to worship you in in the hearing of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So notice with me the first three verses. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. Did you notice how how often truth was repeated in just the first three verses? Um, The first three verses of... Of the letters of the New Testament, well, the first few verses of the letters of of the New Testament are generally what we would consider nowadays the uh, the address label on an envelope. Okay, uh, they didn't use envelopes; we do. Um, but instead of having an envelope, the first couple of things they say are preliminary. You know who it's from. You know who it's to. Um, that kind of thing. And so really today is just going to be examining uh, briefly the, 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 the address label of this letter. Okay, So um, before we get to the, the main meat of the sermon, we'll, we're going to just do some preliminary things since we're introducing a new book. So he starts out with the elder. The, this letter is nameless. We do not know who wrote this letter. It is attributed to John the Apostle. Okay, um, but when he wrote this, he wasn't thinking about Ramsey Creek Baptist Church 2,000 years later on the other side of the world in a different language. He was thinking about the immediate need for writing this letter to the recipient. So um, he doesn't mention his name because he doesn't feel like it's necessary. They obviously knew who he was. So he just simply introduces himself as the elder. At the same time, if you'll literally look at the next page, verse 9 of 3 John, um, he's dealing with uh, more uh, other issues, namely regarding truth. Verse 9 says, I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So, so whoever he is, whoever wrote this letter, has some measure of authority. And it's not just like, hey, he didn't listen to me, but but he's in a group that... He understood and his recipients understood were authorities. They were authoritative. And so, so based on that, he has to be probably an apostle. Um, so, 
so why do we say that John, that John, the apostle, wrote this letter? Um, couldn't it have been another apostle? Well, it's possible. Um, even though he doesn't identify himself in any of the writings that uh, we attribute to him, um, the gospel of John that bears his name, um, there's a disciple whom Jesus loved who leaned on Jesus at the Last Supper. There's a disciple whom Jesus loved that was um, that was with him when he was crucified. There's a disciple whom Jesus loved when, when Jesus was hanging on the cross. He gave that disciple charge over his mother. There's a disciple whom Jesus loved that claimed to... Uh, to write the letter of, uh, or, the, or write the Gospel of John. So it's, it's, um, it's, it's very likely that it was John that was not willing to identify himself, but had that close relationship with Christ. So if you can make that jump to what we just studied in First John and, and see the, the, the similarities in authorship, then, then we would say that the first letter of First John, or the first letter of John was written by John. And so, and you're going to see, as we're going to read the whole letter. I know that's daunting. I I mean, it's very time-consuming. We're going to read it, and you're going to see there's a whole lot of similarities between 2 John and 1 John. So, if you can make all those jumps, it's we would say that it was the Apostle John, okay? And the guys that lived uh, around that time period, they thought it was the Apostle so it's not wrong to say that this was, was, it doesn't change a thing if it's not John. You understand what I'm saying? It's okay. But we'll, we'll say that John was the one that wrote it. So he calls himself an elder. In th- this, this word has two meanings. The first is just an old guy. You know, respect your elders. You know, an old guy. That's probably not how he was using it. There's a formal meeting, um, and that meaning is, of course, the one he likely used here, is one who exercises oversight over local gatherings of believers. That would be an elder. Um, so, very briefly, this is used in several places. First Timothy 3, you don't have to turn to any of these, but let me just read them quickly. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer or elder... He desires a noble task. It's a, it's a formal, it's a formal name. Um, it's a work. It's a work done within the church. Titus 1, 5. This is why I left you in Crete. This is Paul to, to Titus. He left him in Crete so that, that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders, plural, in every town as I directed you. And just, I'm not intending to rabbit trail here, but just so you know, Paul, when he planted a church, didn't plant a Baptist church on one side of the town and then go to the other side of the town and plant a, a Methodist church and go to the, 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 the other quadrant and plant a Christian church. You guys understand that he would go to a town and plant a church. Okay, so plurality of elders. Uh, Acts fourteen twenty three. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they uh, committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So he appoints a plurality of elders. Elders, same word that, that John uses of himself here. Acts 20, verse 17. Now from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. So um, it's, it is a formal title. John uses this in a formal way in regards to himself. He 
understood that he had some kind of, uh, he had the right to exercise oversight over uh, this recipient, whoever this is. So the elder to the elect lady. So if, if, if elder by itself, that, that's kind of a hot topic. It's, it's, it's a word that some people are like, ah, oh, you know, they just very disturbed at the whole thought of eldership. It is used biblically in multiple places. Um, and let's jump out of the frying pan into the fire. Elect. That, that's another, like, uh, what do we do with this word? Um, elect is simple. It, it's, it's just that, it, you know, it's somebody voting somebody else into office. Isn't that what election is? Sure. Um, and in fact, theologically, um, we can make this jump pretty easily because, because if we, if we define it politically in our own world, usually the people that get into office are not qualified. Yes. That's theological too. None of us here are qualified to be elect into the family of God. Nobody is. So, um, and that's really where that example stops, right? Um, so, uh, the whole idea of election was so prevalent in the first century that I think all of the New Testament writers use the words elect, election, or chosen. Now, most of those references are, are in a discussion on salvation. Some of them aren't. Most of them are. So, Guys, I don't stand in front of you and say, I get this. I get election. You just need to get it. There, that, that's, I can't, I can't do that. I don't understand how God, in His wisdom and in His sovereignty, elects anybody. Well, how is it that He has a choice? I'm, I'm an American. I have to vote on everything. Now, if we're going to vote on, the, you know, the color of the carpet or whether we stained glass all the windows now, I, I want to vote on that. I, that that's, my, that's my prerogative. I'm, you know, I'm a free person. I got to be able to vote on this. And, and that's, that's not the way God does it. He doesn't, con, he doesn't concede his sovereignty to our American way of life. Just doesn't. So, so when we, we hear the word elect or election, understand that when we refuse to believe something because we don't understand it, it's one of two things. We're either, we're either choosing to be ignorant, and by that I don't mean that mean, but, but if, it's, if it's in the Bible and we choose not to believe that it's there, then we're, we're choosing ignorance. So what I would recommend for this is go through the scripture, look for the word when you read it and just figure out what it means in the context. Because it is literally all over the New Testament. But if, but if, if it's not ignorance, then, then understand that if we choose not to believe something that's biblical, then we're bordering on something way worse than just ignorance. We're bordering on idolatry. You know what I want? I want a God of my own choosing. I'm going to pick and choose how I want God to present himself in the word. So when I come to this word that the Bible uses all the time, I'm just going to ignore it and go on. That's idolatry. So it wasn't uncommon in those days 
for believers to be just be referred to as the elect. And this is exactly what John does here to who? The elect lady. So, okay, she doesn't have a name. Um, and of course, the immediate understanding is this is just, this is just a lady, an elect lady. That's code for a saved woman. That's, that's who he wrote this to. Um, in fact, the word lady in the Greek is Korea. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, you, you could name a little girl Korea. It'd be a pretty name. It just means lady. It, it's possible that's that he was writing to a woman, a, a, a godly, a God-fearing woman. Um, we don't know. The likely understanding, the, the, the where I would lean, and I, you're welcome to lean either direction, because, again, it's not going to change, change anything. In fact, we probably wouldn't even talk about this, because it doesn't really matter. But but it, but it, it's possible that the elect lady is a reference to the church, that he was writing a letter to a church. Now, why in the world would he, would he disguise it in such a way or refer to a group of people in a singular way like elect lady? Guys, understand that in the first century, Christianity wasn't popular. Now, well, have you ever uh, known somebody to go overseas to a closed country and you had to email them and you just got to be really careful with how you phrase things? It's possible, John, we might have an old example of that here where John intentionally didn't give his name, intentionally didn't give the, the church to where he was writing to, didn't give their name. Why? Possibly for the protection of just the church. Very possible. So, um, and then the next part here is her children. So we have the elder to the elected lady and her children. So depending on how you interpret who the elect lady is, it could either be a lady and her biological offspring, or it could just be members of the church that he was writing to. I don't know. Okay, enough of the preliminary, all that stuff. Let's get to some meat here. Um, There's a theme in this letter. And I already hinted at it, and and Rod pointed out with the kids that this, this, the theme of this book, it, it deals with truth. That, and, and it points out how important truth is to believers, okay? So, um, my home, my house, it's, it's important to me. It's where I raise my family. Um, it's, it's where we, we uh, enrich and encourage one another as a family. Um, it's where my lazy boy chair is at. Now, let's be honest. Living in a tent, you know, last week when it was like negative six wind chill, it ain't cool to go live in a tent and have a lazy boy. It don't work. My, my house is important to me, okay? And so because it's important to me, I can give you the details of my house. I can tell you um, its approximate location from the railroad tracks in Louisiana. I can tell you, uh, I can give you a description of it, that it's a two-story. It's It's got red shutters. I can tell you the number on the mailbox. I, I mean, I know the details surrounding my home because it's very, very important. And for John, when he's writing, he's he is basically giving the details of truth because truth is vital for believers, all right? 
So we're going to look at four things in just the few verses we read. Um, so the first one is this. Truth is the basis for mutual love in the Christian life. Notice the first part of verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. So John's, John's love for the church was driven by what was true. It was driven by truth. Um, and in fact, love for one another can't be uh, based on proximity. Well, they're near me, so I guess that, you know, I have to love them. Or false pretense. Guy asked a church one time, I said, do you, yeah, how many of you were born in Missouri? You know, hands all over the place. How many of you were raised in the country? Woo, is there any other kind of living? You know what I'm saying? Um, but understand that if, if there's not, if there's not a mutual understanding of truth, it does not matter where we're from or, uh, where we were raised. The commonality among believers is not proximity. It's Christ. It's truth. Um, uh, and just from a pastoral perspective, um, there, there's a lot of this, um, False pretense that happens with pastors. Just FYI. We don't walk on water. <laughs> I'd sink for sure. Um, but there's a lot of people that, that you know, guys, pastors, uh, I'll speak for myself, not necessarily for Rod or, or our other elders, but I, there are times I struggle. I struggle to have a quiet time. <gasps> You're a pastor. You have a special relationship with God. No, I have the same relationship with God that other believers have. But what happens is we build up a person and we make them think, or we think about them that they've got something very unique that we need to be aiming for. And the reality is they're, they're just hungry for God like everybody else is. That's names the name of Christ. I had a pastor just a couple of days ago that, you know, he put his hand on my shoulder and said, I just want you to know, Pray for you every day. And I'm like, thanks. And I'm, I, I was, in my mind, I'm like, I don't even think about this guy every day. You know, I, I don't, let alone pray for him. I, I, I'm, look, I'm weak. <laughs> okay. Just, just, just so you know, we're, we're just ordinary people. Okay. Um, our, our, our relationships with one another happen on the basis of truth, not on what we, we build up in our beliefs about other people. So, um, all right. Uh, so secondly, uh, if you notice the second part of verse one, so the elders, the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Um, so, so secondly, truth is the basis for mutual fellowship in the Christian life. So it's not just that, that individually we exercise the love for one another based on truth. Our, our fellowship as as a body is built on what is true. And so, um, and you guys know, have you ever been in the situation where you meet somebody for the first time and you find out that they're believers and you just knew all along, you, you know what I'm talking about? Like, like you have an instant fellowship with somebody because of their walk with Christ. That cannot happen really in any other way other than in Christ, other than the basis for, um, of truth. So, 
Uh, notice this verse 2. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So third thing here, mutual love and fellowship amongst the believers is built on the eternal nature of truth. So so not just truth, what's true for you is, is not true for me and truth is always changing. No, that, that's not the way John presents truth here. Truth doesn't change. In fact, let me... Let me read, let's just go ahead and read the letter. I meant to do this earlier, but let's read the letter. And, I'll, and so when COVID hit back in February, March, somewhere in there, you know, we, we laid, everybody laid low for several weeks. And while we were laying low, one of the things that we did as a family is we just, I asked the kids, what, what, what book do you want to study? And they said, second and third John. I was like, yes, okay, that's easy. All right, so... And we, as we read this, I just, I asked them to look for themes, look for words that are repeated and things like that. I'd encourage you as we read this, just look at what's, what's repeated here. Um, and, uh, so it, it's good. And it'll show us exactly what this book is all about. So notice again, verse one, the elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were, uh, I were uh, writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a uh, one is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would not... I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you, which is why I kind of think it's the church, not necessarily a person. Okay? Theme? You know what we discovered? The words teaching, truth, and commandment are like 70% of this little tiny letter. Almost every verse has those words in it. And when the, the verses don't have the words in it, by implication of, the, of what he's saying about truth, we can deduce that there's something to do with it. So, so no, he doesn't mention truth in verse 8 or 9 necessarily. No, I'm sorry, verse 8, 7 and 8, I think. But it has to do with discerning deceivers. Well, how do you do that? It's based on, based on truth. So, um, and, and you'll notice, let's see if I can find it here. Uh, I think it's verse, uh, look at verse 5. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one that we've had from the beginning. Truth doesn't change. So had God said, 
love your neighbor as yourself in Genesis chapter 4 when Cain killed Abel? No, but he, it was certainly understood. Murder was still wrong. And so it, it, it's something that, that God has designed. We see it in, in our relationships with just people around us as well as it explicitly laid out in the Scripture. And so, um, so truth does not change. Um, and truth by its nature, according to this text, is internalized. It's, um, we, we come across the same word, which is why we think that John wrote this. Because he wrote, if we think that he wrote First John, he had whoever it was had to write the same letter or the, the second letter. All right, because he uses so much language that's the same. Did you hear? Some of this sounds a lot like First John. And so, one of the words that we dealt with on a regular basis in First John was the word abide. So, I don't know. We've defined abide. I don't know how many different ways. Okay, so um, I'm. I'm always a fan of trying to find biblically, scripturally, uh, another use of that word to help us understand it. So if you take your Bibles and go to the Gospel of John and look at verse 15, or excuse me, chapter 15. The Gospel of John, chapter 15. Notice verse 4. Abide in me, same word, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and and I in him, he it, it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's yet another example of what it means to abide. So we use the word. We know it means to take up residence or to dwell in. And now Jesus gives us an illustration. We'll look at it at a tree or, or a vine or a, a, a you know a vine of grapes. Um, those branches, they can't do anything without nutrition. They can't do anything unless what unless what's in the soil gets to them and understand that a believer no matter what they profess can't exercise or or do what is commanded apart from Christ himself so when we talk about abiding we're not just talking about going to church or singing the songs we're talking about obedience to the commands obedience that's energized and empowered by God himself so when we say, so this truth, whatever it is, that it has to abide in us, has to take up residence in us. And so, um, and with this, um, truth is faithful. Uh, so the truth that abides in us, we're back in Second John, sorry. That abides in us and will be with us forever. So truth is, is, is faithful here. Um, notice verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father, Son, in truth and love. So the fourth thing I want us to see here is the gospel details walk upon the two legs. You kids listening, this is very important. Are you ready? Truth and love. The legs that the gospel walks on is truth and love, they have to go together. So, John gives us what is, you know, it's seen, Paul in his letters says this frequently, 
he talks about, he gives this introduction of grace and, and peace to you. John adds, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. So let, these are the gospel details. So let's, let's unpack these for a second. What is grace? What is mercy? What is peace? So grace is you getting what you do not deserve. That's simple enough, right? We don't deserve, we don't deserve an atoning death on the cross for our sins. We don't deserve biblical fellowship with other believers. We don't deserve an eternal home with God where sin cannot dwell. We don't deserve any of that. Grace is God giving you what you do not deserve. Mercy. Mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. See how that works? Grace is him giving you something and mercy is him withholding something. Grace is him giving you something you don't deserve and mercy is God keeping what you do deserve. So what do we deserve? How about, how about, um, um, judgment for my sin? Death. Eternal torment. A, a, a worm that never dies. Darkness forever. Separation from the life of God. That's what I deserve. That's what I deserve. So in the cross, you get both. You get God extending a gift to you in salvation. And you have God taking from you what you do deserve. And what are the results? Grace, mercy, and... Now... We just saw it in the video. It, it is possible that the, the peace we get from God at times gives us a sense of rest. Another word maybe instead of peace is contentment. God gives us a heart of contentment over things. And, and that's possible. I don't think that's what maybe John means here. When God gives you what you don't deserve and he withholds from you what you do deserve, what you guess, get is a judiciary peace. So just think about this. Your sin makes you an enemy of God. And His righteousness and His holiness makes Him an enemy of you. So when we come to, when we, when we're born again, it's as if not only are we dropping our weapons against God, God's dropping His weapons against us. And where there was no reconciliation and no hope and, 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 and no happiness or joy, you get all of that because both parties have dropped their weapons. The peace treaty signed in the blood of Christ has been done. So grace, mercy, and peace. And then he says this, from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. Now, when we were in First John, we heard frequently the need to um, to understand the person of Christ, not just not just that Jesus came, not just that we should believe in Him, but understand who He actually is. This is really important. Um, so, this God, the Father who is introduced to us in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament tells us that he doesn't share his glory with anybody else, is saddled right up next to Jesus. 
You guys realize what's being said here in this little introduction? John is once again reminding us that Christ is God. That Jesus is Emmanuel. God with us. Because he puts them together. So, so again, uh, so like hitting all the heavy subjects here, elder, election, trinity. I, I don't have an explanation for any of those. But I am going to grasp those doctrines as the Bible presents them because the Bible presents them. Okay? So whether we understand the triune nature of God, that is who Jesus is. He is God in the flesh. He was 100% God, 100% man. That's called, what, kids, what was that called again? Starts with an I. Incarnation. Is that a child that said that or was that you, Nikki? Okay. <laughs> Just making it. Hey, all right. Okay. So, um, good. All right. So let's get to a couple of application points and we'll be done. So first, we would be amiss if we didn't call truth by its first name. And the name of truth is what? Say it out I don't care who says it. Is Jesus. Truth is not just a list of, of, uh, of uh, bullet points. Uh, truth is, memorize the Ten Commandments and try to do them as well as you can. Is that what truth is? Not ultimately. Well, Jesus came and, and He gave commands. So just try to do your best to obey all those commands. Those commands, whether whether they're given by Christ or whether we we hear them from from Old Testament texts, understand the purpose of those commands primarily is to point you to the person of truth. Because the reality is, if if you've broken one law, you've broken every law. Which means that that that, that if you're guilty of murder, which according to Jesus, if you're angry with somebody, you're guilty of murder, then. If you walk the old lady across the street and you tell the judge, look, I know I'm guilty of murder, but I was helpful one time. I did good deeds. Is the judge going to let you off for murder? Cannot happen. No way. So if we try to maintain doing good things, which we should... But understand that there's not a good deed that you can do. There's not a million good deeds you can do that will ever be a redeeming act. It will never be enough for God. If, we, if we're talking millions of unblemished lambs slain on the altar to take away sins, couldn't take away sins, then I promise you that no good thing you do will ever redeem you before God. It has to be Christ and Christ alone. So, uh, it, so look again at these verses and, and, and notice with me, if I can find it here. Let's just replace the word truth with truth's name. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in Christ. And not only I, but also all who know Christ. Because Christ abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son. Guys... Truth and love, who is that? It's Christ. I mean, talk about exclusive claims. This is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. 
I mean, Jesus doesn't say you just need to know the truth. He says, you need to know me. If you're going to get anywhere with God, you have to know Christ. And then we just looked at it in 1 John. God is love. Love has a name. So it takes us to our second application point. How many of you have ever heard this before? Doctrine divides, but Christ unites. Have you heard that? Anybody? It's like if we if we deal with doctrine, it's just gonna it's just gonna be a great big division. Everybody's gonna be up, upset because you know nobody believes all the same things as somebody else. But Jesus, hey, just you know, kumbaya. You know what I'm saying? Everybody gets together and holds hands. You understand that when I say this phrase. Jesus Christ, I am making a theological, doctrinal statement. I'm acknowledging that there's a guy named Jesus from 2,000 years ago that showed up, and Christ isn't his last name, just so you know. It means anointed one or Messiah. Okay, so when I'm oh, I'm talking about Jesus, I'm talking about Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah. I'm going to call him Emmanuel, God with us, because that's what the Bible calls him. So, so that's what he is. He was given a human name because he was human, but he's also the anointed one. He's also God in the flesh. So when I say Jesus Christ, I'm talking theologically here. You understand that we don't know anything about Jesus without the Bible? Stop and think about that. We, we, we have, we don't know about the person and work of Jesus without the doctrines of scripture. Good, good week to ask this. But, what do you believe about Santa? Don't answer out loud. There, there are children present, okay? Uh, I asked a guy this week, cause we were talking about this. This, you know, we were, we're studying the scripture together and I, we were in John, the gospel of John. We got to chapter eight and Jesus says, Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. And I told him, I said, it's not just, hey, you should believe in Jesus. But it's just equally as equally important that you ask yourself, what do you actually believe about Jesus? So I asked him, I said, well, I, I told him, I, I said, I said, what if I told you that I believed in Santa Claus? But I believe that Santa is a tall, skinny woman who wears green. And her name is Sheila. Sheila Claus. Would you think I was nuts? And he, without hesitation, he said, yes. What I believed about Santa was completely off base. And how do we know it's off base? Because historically, Santa is a, an older gentleman who's portly and wears red and gives gifts. So whatever it is I believe about Santa... Is wrong. I can't just say, I can't just change that. I can't just say that he's some malnourished woman that wears green. It's not, you just can't do that. It's not, it's not consistent. Not consistent with tradition. Now, all illustrations fail. But ask yourself, what do you believe about Christ? Is what I believe about Jesus actually consistent with what's revealed about him in the word? Or do we have notions that simply are not found in the scripture. So when the JW knocks on your door and is like, yeah, I believe in Jesus just like you. So do you believe that, that Jesus is God in the flesh? Well, no, I don't. 
Can you have fellowship with somebody? Can you, can you meet on theological grounds with great agreement with somebody who does not believe that Jesus is God in the flesh? He's more of a phantom or, or he was, he was just a guy. He was pious and God gave him divine attributes. But when he died on the cross, all those attributes left. There's, there's actually religions that believe that. Do we have fellowship with him? Or the Mormon knocks on your door. Oh, yeah, you know, I believe in Jesus too, but the Jesus I believe in also showed up in America. (laughs) So when Jesus said on the cross when he was dying, it is finished, and then he ascended into heaven, he just had to show back up in America. Really? No. Do we have fellowship with them? Sorry. Muslims, they don't understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Again, I'm not saying I do either. There's only one God, they say. So Jesus, Jesus was a great prophet. He was a great man, but he was not God, and he'll tell you that. Do we have fellowship with him? No. Because our fellowship, according to John here, is based on what's true. And that truth is Christ. Unfortunately, I'd like to think that in... Protestant denominations that there's a handle on who Jesus is. But I'm sorry to say that's not always the case. I had a lady call me several years ago and she said, and not one Baptist, but it was somebody that, you know, that, I mean, as far as ecumenical circles are concerned, maybe we'd sit back and go, oh, yeah, we've got fellowship with him. She calls me up. She says, my husband, who I'm assuming is a believer, is trying to convince me. And this is a lady that goes to church all the time. She said, I'm, my husband's trying to convince me that Jesus is God. But I don't think so. I said, um, okay. So, you got a Bible there? Yep. Go to John chapter 1. There was a long pause. And you could tell she was embarrassed. And their next question was, Do you know what page number that's on? She had no idea. So we walked through John. We walked through Hebrews 1. We walked through Colossians 1. We talked about Jesus as creator. And before the conversation was over, I feel like at least that I had begun to at least convince her that there was a case for this. And we talked about how it's not just that you need to believe in Jesus. But you need to know what you believe about him. If you are sitting here going, you know, I, I, I don't think I, 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 I just, I really think that he was, that he, he died for us and I think that God sent him, but I cannot, I cannot say that he is God in the flesh. Understand that Jesus said, unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. What do you believe? about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I'm certain in this in this company of people that there these questions have to be here among some of us that 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 we not just have to define who Jesus is but if that's the case if it really is that he is is your son in the flesh, that he is God in the flesh, then, then I have to ask myself 
too. And, and we have to ask ourselves, what, what's the nature of belief? What does it mean to believe? But to know that you sent your son and that he died in my place and he rose again to give me new life. I cannot live my life the same way. So, Father, before this day ends, may we grapple with the reality of the nature of your son. All for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.